Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm your host, Scott Livingston, and this is where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page, Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to empower and inspire a community of people who take every opportunity to live a high-performing life. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice that brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. And now the entire approach is available for you to digest online from the comfort of your own home. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook Reconditioning HQ Revolution community and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Team up with Matrix. If you're striving for that competitive edge, make sure Matrix is on your team so you have everything you need to build a winner from start to finish. With over 500 products, exclusive training tools, and years of experience, we can help you create a facility that maximizes athletic potential in new ways. We can deliver a wide range of complete programming solutions to build strength, explosiveness, speed, and agility in athletes of all kinds. Our partnerships with coaching professionals make it easy to access expert insight that enhances the way your team trains. And of course, everything Matrix is engineered and tested to meet the most stringent international standards for safety and quality. So we'll be with you season after season season for years. For more information, go to Matrix Canadian team site, teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA. How would you like to increase your athletic performance and reduce your risk of injury? If this sounds good to you, please allow me to introduce you to the all-new Isofit MSK. The multi-patented Isofit MSK is the world's first full-body, portable, isometric strength training device. Since launching in November 2020, the Isofit MSK is now helping thousands of people across 18 countries live pain-free, high-performing lifestyles. Whether your goal is to enhance muscle strength and endurance, improve neuromuscular potentiation, strength strengthen tendons and bones, or enhance cardiovascular performance, the Isofit MSK does it all. To learn more about the Isofit MSK, please visit www.isofitmsk.ca. That's Isofit with a P-H-I-T, MSK.ca. Remember to use the discount code IHPS at checkout to save yourself $250 per unit. The Isofit MSK is proudly made in Canada. Uh, welcome to Leave Your Mark. This is a performance conversation between myself and uh, the great Dominic Gauthier, who is in uh, Vancouver, and I am in uh, Mont-Tremblant. We are thousands of miles apart, but we come together for our performance conversations every so often. We were just catching up, but we realized we should be catching up online instead of offline. So uh-huh. welcome, yeah. buddy. Hey, thank you. <laughs> well, the big story, actually, you were telling me was, um, you know, Dom is married to Jennifer Heil, who's uh, an amazing Olympian and has uh, accomplished a lot in her time, but she's uh, doing a, an MBA now. So what's the story behind that? How yes. did she, uh, yeah, tell me that. 
It's pretty cool. I mean, all the athletes we work with, we, you know, always try to promote education because um, we know a career can end so quickly. So uh, Jen was always a good student. And a lot of the athletes that we worked with at B210 are actually uh, very good students. So, you know, she went on, finished her degree at McGill and then started to work um, at Deloitte. Actually, she started her um, working career or post-skiing career. And then at one point she got to uh, a place where she's like, if I want to really grow to the levels that I want to grow in, um, and, you know, typical underachiever uh, Olympic medalist, you know, like she wants to go for the top. So um, she thought she needed more, you know, skills, knowledge, gain credibility in a way as well. So she applied to some of the top university programs in the States and was uh, accepted after a really, really difficult process of going back to do like some pretty tricky math stuff, but without a calculator, you know? And, and I'm like, I was, I was really good at math. I get the, you know, the logic of math, but without the calculator, without help, I mean, Jesus. So anyway, it, it took like 10 months, I think, with a tutor working hard. Long story short, she got accepted. Uh, at both MIT and Stanford. Wow. And uh, within a week, she got the answers from both of those programs. So she uh, accepted Stanford, which was her first choice. And the program got pushed because of COVID for a year. Uh, so it was supposed to start last year. Now it's starting actually today as we speak. So she drove down last week uh, and uh, us, like me and the boys, the two boys that we have, will move at the end of the summer after the Summer Olympics. So when my job is done in the you know broadcast um, broadcasting of the games with Radio Canada, uh, so on the 9th of August, we'll drive down and um, join her there. So it's pretty cool. I love to see athletes. I mean, obviously she she's my wife, so I'm I'm doubly mm-hmm. proud. But um, any athletes that I see that you know achieve these uh, great things after their career, I think of Alex Bilodeau, who's like now like working for an amazing private uh, equity group and investing, and he's guiding them in the investment that they're doing and like. An, Billions of dollars. Um, Joanie Rochette, who's a doctor now, uh, which is pretty awesome. Uh, I mean, I couldn't name so many. And Tessa Rutu did her, her, her Queen's uh, MBA program as well. Benoit Anyway, I could go on, but I'm just, I'm just I love it, you know? <laughs> and I it think is this awesome. is great. It just shows that our athletes, when we, you know, as, at a young age, and I think as parents and on this podcast, we, thought, we talked about the role of parents a lot, right? And Yes, sport is, you know, something we want to put a lot of eggs into if you want to be the best in the world. There's no doubt there. But maybe, you know, keeping one or one or two eggs of the dozen in school for, you know, the duration of your career. And then after that, you have more chances that the athletes will will succeed afterwards. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. pretty pumped for Jen. Mm -hmm. I think this this will lead to great things probably. and, And we'll see where that leads us. For me, personally, Scotty, I'm pretty pumped to go live in California for a year. I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's like a childhood, you know, fantasy that maybe everybody has of like thinking of to live in Hawaii, things like that. Well, now I'll be able to experience it just for a year. So it's, I think it's just perfect. And if we really, really love it, maybe we stay longer. I don't think so because I really love to be in Canada. So I think that's the objective. Get the experience. Probably enough that you're like, okay, this was awesome. Now the fantasy is passed. Let's come back to Canada, right? <laughs> What's the one thing you really want to do while you're down there that you've dreamed of doing? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, like I'll go straight to it. It's, I, I won't try to, you know, look so smart. I'm going to connect with great people, blah, blah, blah. No, I, I want to be the surfer that I always wanted to be. 
That's my objective number one. You know, like I've been surfing forever and I got to a point where because of, you know, the reality of being Canadian, having two kids, you know, I don't surf enough to then get to a real good progression to where I want to get to. So I'm kind of stagnant right now. I'm okay. I can be pretty much anywhere around the world. Uh, I don't look like a fool, but I'm not good, you know, and, and like worldwide speaking, I'm good for a Canadian. I'm okay for a Canadian. I shouldn't even say good. Now this will allow me, finally, I'll surf consistently for a year and then I'll get, you know, to that level where I think I can get to and that will be a check mark because <laughs> I really care about it because I love it. Like it's, it's crazy how much I love surfing. So um, now I'll be able to get to that level. Secondary objective, obviously, meet great people. We're in the Silicon Valley. Uh, I love, you know, a lot of things tech and health related. So who knows where, where that will lead me as well, right? Like, so now that we all work from home, I've always worked from home regardless with B210. And same with you. We don't, I mean, we don't have like a real office or a tower. We walk in every morning and go on floor number 22, right? Like we, we've never <laughs> lived that. So, um, so that to me didn't change that much. But I think the reality now that, everybody around us accepts that this is the new reality well we can work from everywhere so i i can be you know doing my job at b210 especially if we can travel again normally yeah i can be in san fran and it doesn't affect what i do which is awesome that's awesome so yeah so that's my little uh, new life uh, changes happening <laughs> as we so it's yeah. so cool yeah, well, it's good. You? you've been uh, you've been uh, off a bit uh, yeah i took a little vacation uh, kind of staycation last week uh <clears throat> we've talked about that before privately it's not always easy to take time off when mm-hmm. you're actually at home but uh i don't know living in trombon now it's uh, become maybe a little bit easier i just focus on trying to do more outdoor stuff so we uh we got a we we invested in a paddleboard last year so we went paddleboarding and visited some people actually last week was interesting because it was the first week since this whole pandemic started and as you know things are starting to get back to normal in canada more than they are in the the states is way ahead of us but um it was the first time that I actually had a social agenda last week. So, you know, went over to some mm-hmm. friend's house and, you know, watched the hockey game and then went to a barbecue and went to, it was kind of like, what happened all oh. this stuff for the last year and a half. So oh. it's kind of neat actually to do, but again, you know, wow, makes you appreciate it so much more, right? Yeah. Just catching up with people and even, even, you know, the, how do you greet people thing again, you know, like actually shook, shook some hands last week. Uh, Cause I'm double right. vaccinated now. So I'm starting yeah. to be like, Oh, you know what? I got my shield up, shields up. So I think so. <laughs> I, I did actually shake my first hands last week as well. Uh, and here in BC, things are a little, probably like I would say a month or two ahead of Montreal as far as you know uh, the lifting of the restrictive measures like we don't need mask anywhere right now so you go to a cafe i'm in whistler right now any cafes restaurant like sometimes the staff will still wear them but often they don't even Mm -hmm. so uh but you know to your point of shaking hands that was weird when i shake these people's hands i was like oh you want me to shake your hand sure i I don't (laughs) care like you i'm doubly vaccinated you know i'm i'm youngish and healthy like whatever i'm not scared at all but are we ever going to come back to the Quebec kisses, Mr. Scotty? I think these are gone forever, are they? 
It's gone right? forever. I think it is. <laughs> I don't know. And I Paris, don't know, you know. The I think... Four kisses in Paris, three in Geneva. I, I think that's gone. I mean, yeah, it'll I would a agree. long time before we come back to that. I think it will be the kind of hug where, you know, the face is looking in opposite direction and, you know, half hug kind of thing, maybe. But the kisses, I don't think we'll see those again. Anyway, definitely not what random people because for people mm-hmm. listening to us who are not in quebec who have never been in quebec if i introduce you to a good friend of mine and she's a girl you're a guy you, you'll shake hands and often just give two kisses uh, might sound really really weird for, for some people who've never experienced it but it's also weird for us me being from quebec not doing it it's like wow mm-hmm. you're, you're not a warm person so now we'll be looking at each other's hands are we shaking hands are we <laughs> Kissing, certainly not. That would be weird. So I think we'll come back to kissing the, the very close people. That's about it. Mm. And shaking hands, obviously. I think that, that will it's come back. Be. But then, then again, I don't know, like to bring this back to sport. You know, I remember before the 2010 Olympics here, like one thing I was really pushing for was no shaking hands, right? Like, mm. I'm like, there's so much risk to be sick before the games, especially the winter games. That's when the flu is like, Why do we even bother shaking hands in the athletes' village? And when athletes will see so many friends and families, and especially being at home games, there were so many people in the city high-fiving everybody. Like, God, simple measures. Um, now I think it, this will remain for sure, right? Like in moments where you're like, okay, I really don't want to get sick. Sorry, I'm not shaking hands, you know? And mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. a big business meeting now, let's translate that to business. People who travel to China to make it a big, massive, like million dollar, billion dollar deal. Well, I don't want to be sick for that meeting tomorrow. I'm not going to shake your hand. So anyway, we might end up just all bawling like, uh, like the Japanese people do, you know, they had it right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they started it right in the first exactly. place. They didn't have to make any adjustments. <laughs> Speaking of which, we wanted, to, <laughs> we wanted to talk a little bit about Tokyo. Yeah. So we're officially today, two weeks away from the start of actual competitions. They start on the 20th and the opening ceremonies is the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought we, would sort of do a little bit of a preliminary conversation around the Olympics. I do not consider myself to be as up to speed on everything Olympic as you are. Uh, you are going over as somebody who is in the media complex and is also quite involved with B210. So I may just act as a peripheral opinion centric character on the side of this whole thing. But, uh, you know, for those, those people who are listening, who don't know as much about the Olympics, obviously we have a, a, a large performance cl- crowd but there are people who maybe don't deal with the olympics the mm-hmm. summer olympics are a big deal man there's a there's a lot of sports um there's something like 28 different sports with various disciplines and there's some new sports that they're trying out this year i think it's kind of cool with skateboarding and yeah. surfing and all these things so you know it's going to be an interesting event but before we get into all the sports stuff like where's your where, where what are you thinking about like with with what we were just talking about around covid and it sounds like japan they're not to the regular pop is not too happy about the fact that uh people are coming over there to do the olympics and in fact even i think the emperor chimed in which is a rarity in japan about uh, Mm -hmm. what he thought so you know there's a little controversy going into this big show thoughts my friend yeah thoughts are that (laughs) We, the media, uh, exaggerate all of this, in my view. Um, 
are they nervous to host the world? Uh, yes, they are. And I spoke to a lot of friends in Japan because um, I did coach the Japanese team, the ski team for four years between uh, 2002 and 2006. So I have a, a lot of friends and connection there that, that remain. So I spoke to them when I read all about these crazy surveys, like one of them from the uh, Asahi Shimbun, which is the main newspaper there in Japan, said that 83% of the population did not want the Olympics this summer. Well, and I was like, whoa, that's big. <laughs> so I did my own research because I'm like, this, this is just too much. Plus, Japanese people don't speak out against authority that easily. So I'm like, this is, yeah. So that survey was completely... Um, I was going to say like fraudulent, but in a way it is. The, the, the way we use the outcome of the survey is fraudulent. So they asked the question was, there was three uh, possible answers. The question was, would you like the Olympics to happen this summer? Would you like the Olympics to be pushed next year? Or would you like the Olympics to be canceled? The big problem here is that option number two, pushing the Olympics, is not an option. It's right. not. So... The people who answered the question were like, well, of course, I would rather have it next summer or I would like to have it, you know, just canceled. Fine. So what they did is they added the number two and number three to make it 83%. Now, option number two, if it doesn't exist, so if you ask the Japanese people, do you want the Olympics or do you want them canceled? Mm -hmm. Very different answer. Now it's like, <laughs> whoa, okay, well, we did put like, you know, almost 42 billion into this. Um, you know, COVID is kind of, you know, uh, going down a bit worldwide. There's some risk, but well, maybe we, maybe we give it a shot. Right. So that was one thing. The other thing is Scotty, there's 75, uh, no, there's 125 million Japanese. The survey was made with 1500 people. <laughs> like, come on. I, I, I get the, the numbers behind a survey, but you still need a critical number to make it right. relevant, right? right? Like, right. This, is, this was all bullshit. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Now, are people nervous? Yes, they are. Will the Olympics happen? Yes, they will. And, and at that point, I think the Japanese people have accepted that this will happen. The biggest show in the world will come to our town, to our city, and we'll, we'll do it really well. Like Japanese can do it. Like only the Japanese people can face that crisis and make it a success in my view. And, and I really think they do. I really think they will. And they'll do it with pride. Um, and will it be a different Olympics? Yes. Will it be a boring Olympics as an experience for athletes? Yes. Coaches, staff, media even. Like it's, it's, it's going to be a terrible experience. But at the end of the day, Everyone, as far as athletes, coaches, and everybody who worked into it are pretty pumped that this is happening in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And will it be fair? I don't think so. I, I think, you know, we've seen already some people showed up in Japan with, with COVID. I can't remember the delegation was from a, a random country I didn't really know much about. Um, some athletes will, you know, be pushed aside, won't be able to compete, but... You know, it won't be perfect, but let's accept that it's not going to be perfect. And there's still going to be a race um, mm -hmm. and medals to be awarded. 339 gold medals, to be precise, that will be awarded. Um, so, you know, I think this this is the reality of it. Like, we accept it's not going to mm -hmm. be perfect, mm -hmm. not fair. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, there's going to be Olympic champions that will mm -hmm. be awarded. And that alone, it's pretty awesome. And we've seen it with other sports who made it possible with less crowd and all of this. At the end of the day, it's a TV show. 
Now, less exciting, as you and I discussed a few weeks ago, when you celebrate uh, in an empty stadium, for sure. But hey, uh, again, it's going to be in interesting and so intriguing that I think more people will watch at the end yeah. of the day. I well, so. I think one of the things that people don't always understand, which you and I understand from having attended Olympic Games, is how insular the environment is to begin with. Like, I mean, it is the most secure environment you could ever want in some sense. You can't get in there without, you know, state-sponsored accreditation, and there's a limited number of people, and everything is secured and That's defined. Right. And, and you know, so this is just another, you know, they'll just bring another level of the medical paradigm to it, but at the end of the day it's not like everybody's wandering around and touchy-feely with the athletes and everything else and yeah. for the i mean it's really more the fans in some sense as as it is over here that are potentially affected more than the actual athletic in, endeavor is in some sense and they've made a decision not to have foreigners come over so at the end of the day they're controlling you know how they're going to operate their their venues and stuff but for the athletes themselves i mean i i would think it's probably more secure than and, and it's already been yeah. demonstrated by the nhl and the nfl and all these different sports that you can run a mm. pretty safe environment and test out everybody and Totally. Uh, all that stuff. So, uh, you know, I think it, to your point, it's a little bit over-dramatized at times, for sure. Yeah. And like, like you say, they, they invented bubbles, really. Like we, the Olympics have always been in a bubble for athletes mm -hmm. and coaches. Now it's going to be just uh, a thicker bubbles, let's say. What's yeah. your, uh, I mean, you talked about new sports coming on board. Like one, do, do you like seeing new sports or you're more traditional? Like a lot of people are like, ah, oh, come on, like let's stop bringing like all these new crazy sports. We don't need that. It's all good with high jumping and running. And then second question, like, what would you watch the most? What would you love at the games? And maybe things that you never would watch, but you do watch because it's the Olympics. Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it's an evolutionary process that, you know, the games um, reflect uh, society and what's becoming more more interesting to society and experimental and sport is sport, right? I think sometimes you get very judgmental about, well, what is a sport and what is not a sport? I mean, mm -hmm. fundamentally, if you look at, you know, some of the early sports, like whether it's, you know, shot and discus, et cetera, you know, you're throwing an object somewhere for a distance, like, you know, uh, it's, it's, what is it, you know, but at the end of the day, this is how it was created. And, and we created this event for people to test their will and their capacity. So we found different ways of doing it. I am, I must say as a traditionalist, I, I find sometimes judge sports harder to chew on in the, in the Olympic games than performance mm. sports. And that's always been a bit of a struggle, I think. Um, and we, it's funny, but Canadians kind of lean towards the judge sports a little bit more with, since we're in snow sport and ski and all these kinds of things. And, but it is, a, and you, you, obviously you played a, a judge sport to a degree, but it also had a competitive yep. performance side to it, but it is challenging like a surfing or a, a skateboarding where it is fundamentally all, all judged. And so then, you know, what, how does that all pan out? And I, I would hate for it to become 90% judged and 10% performance, but uh, I don't think it's going in that direction too quickly. So you got, you still got lots of performance and team-based sport and everything else. What do I like to watch? Um, 
You know, uh, I, I would say every, like everybody, I like seeing the big, you know, the classics, like the hundred meter dash. And I like seeing, you know, some of the team events, like, you know, ever since they brought in the NBA and some of the pros, and, and that's another topic worth talking about is, you know, going back to that decision, whether having professionals in so-called amateur sport was a good or a bad decision over time. And we're wondering whether the NHL is going to be in the winter Olympics this year, et cetera. But I, I kind of like seeing the best of the best play each other at times uh, although i do see in some sports they're like basketball the balance is still not very mm-hmm. good you know so that that's a bit of a challenge at times um i love watching uh, you know i love watching the olympics because you know like everybody else you fundamentally know it is the best of the best at this one-time thing that they've all been yeah. focused on for yeah. four years. Uh, and there, you know, it's this critical moment, you know, and that critical moment defines our interest level. You? hundred percent. That That's exactly <laughs> right. Like, and that's why when we talk about bringing all these new sports and that I'm, I'm okay with it. Well, I, I love these sports, so it, it's, it's fine by me, but at the same time, I don't think we, we need to, to, to chase too much like you know when you know we start to look at break dancing and i'm not mm-hmm. saying it's not a sport because i think it's 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 freakingly athletic uh yeah. what they do <laughs> so that's not the point it's just that you know at the end of the day when they say well we got to gain the interest of the people that's where i get to the point where i'm like exactly like you said it's not the actual sport itself it, it's the moment and and what's at stake mm-hmm. that makes it awesome to watch Mm-hmm. I mean, the most watched event in uh, 2016 in Canada was high jumping. Derek Drouin, who won the gold medal. Mm. High jumping. Put that on TV tomorrow and don't call it Olympics. There's not one single person <laughs> watching, right? But it became a moment. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what the IOC needs to remind itself. People will still watch people throwing a javelin, a discus, do I find it boring? Yeah, it's kind of boring, but it's not when it's the Olympics. And if you have someone you know from your country who might win it at the end of the day, right? So for that, I think it's, it's, it's a fine line. And where I, I get uncomfortable, it's when we start cutting sports because mm. they've said that there's a maximum quota that they want to have, a maximum number of athletes at the games. Mm. And for the summer games, we're 11,000 something, I think. And so if you bring a new sport, that means you need to cut quotas and cut sports. And what they've decided to do to make it more appealing for a nation to apply, to bid, to have the games, is they allow them to select sports, new sports, and potentially get rid of other sports. So in Japan, for example, climbing will be there. I think it's awesome. Climbing is going to be a great thing to watch. Uh, but Japan is very, very strong in climbing. That's why they chose that sport. Fine, that's again, they try to appeal to that. But then you put Taekwondo. I think Taekwondo, uh, karate, sorry, Taekwondo is there. Uh, karate, again, Japanese people, karate, it makes sense. But karate will not be in Paris. Like, mm. like, like what the heck? Like, if, if you're an athlete in karate, you now are a young kid dreaming to go to the Olympics, and then suddenly you're almost there, and then your sport gets scratched off the Olympic list. Right. Like, this is not cool at all. I don't like that. I don't like the yo-yoing or sometimes a sport is in, sometimes it's out, depending on where you compete. That becomes the S show in my mind. Like, this mm-hmm. is not cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where we're heading right now. Not good. Um, mm-hmm. So 
I, I like all the sports that they brought this year, which are, as you said, surfing, skateboarding, uh, BMX, climbing, and karate. Um, should they remain? Yes. Once they're in, you're in. Worst case, bring the quotas down, like the number of people that can compete in one sport. Um, you know, I, I, I bash on swimming a lot during the Olympics all the time, because not because I don't like swimming. It's just because they always talk to me about the greatest athlete and the most medalist. And, you know, in Canada, recently we had Penny Alexiak. She was awesome. And, and, and yes, one of the greatest. But is someone that, you know, like Alexandre Bilodeau, who won a gold in Vancouver, a gold in Sochi, and that's the only two chances he had? Mm. Is he lesser than an athlete who had like 20 chances and mm. won two medals or three, one more than Alex? And the answer is no in my mind. So I get annoyed with swimming because I find there's too many events where the same athletes can compete in. Mm -hmm. I explain myself in, in athletics. There are more medals awarded in athletics. I think it's top of mind. I think it's 47 and 38 in swimming. So 47 in athletics, 38 in swimming. Maybe I have it wrong. I'll check that after. Um, but anyways, you, you get my point. Mm -hmm. In athletics, someone might do the 100 and the 200 meter. Fine. Then they'll do a relay. Okay. Um, but it's, it's not like in swimming where you see the same athletes competing in many different events. Mm. And that to me, it's like it's not a differentiator enough to make like a 50 meter, a 100 meter, then a 100 meter back, 100 meter uh, free, 100 meter, like it just never ends. So that first week of the Olympics for me, although I love swimming, I get annoyed by it, to be honest. <laughs> uh, so I don't watch it fully because it's just too much. It's almost mm -hmm. like noise, right, to me. Uh, watching mm -hmm. a full week of swimming mm -hmm. athletics i love it because i i find it really different uh, everything mm -hmm. i see is different you know from from the 100 meter to the decathlon you know uh i think that's pretty cool now the sports i do watch the most obviously again it's because it's the the moment right so i i, I watch where canada has a chance uh, right more precisely in my case where b210 athletes obviously have a chance but where canadian athletes have a shot i'll be watching from you know trampoline to um, any other sports where Canada has a shot. Um, you know, I, I do like, you know, as much as I think that the team sports um, bring bring a lot to the games as a, as a nation, I think we celebrate more when our soccer team or rugby team wins an event because uh, it's more like Canada, right? It's not uh, Derek Drouin to use him again. It's Canada that won, you know, in the case mm -hmm. of soccer, the bronze medal. So I think it's, it's more a rassembleur for mm -hmm. a country. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's cool. But for me, as a, as a viewer, I find it less um, stressful, less intense. I just mm -hmm. love when I see the single athlete on the line, especially in a sport like, I don't know, like gymnastics. They're alone in the middle waiting for the judges to say you can go mm -hmm. or... Uh, an athlete alone before a trampoline uh, execution or a diver, right? When mm -hmm. they get on their hands on the 10 meters and you've worked with divers, <sighs> like, you know, there's no noise. When there's a soccer game, a rugby game, <laughs> it's fun for in its own ways. But man, the, the stress of that one event, one shot, one opportunity sounded like a rap, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> Eminem, buddy. <laughs> uh, standing on their hands on the 10-meter platform, and no one is talking. And then you know you have time to think that the whole world almost is watching, and then they have to do it. That's what I love. So any of these sports where you're on the edge of your seat because everything can go wrong, 
like there's more chances that things go wrong, right? And then when the perfect moment happens, when these athletes have been so well prepared to face that and they face it with, with success, oh, man, I love the Olympics for that and always will. And that's why to me, there's no boring sport at all. I, I, I'll watch, you know, people laugh often at the modern pentathlon. It's kind of weird, right? Like running, horse riding, fencing, like what the heck is this? But, but if we had a Canadian good in modern pentathlon, I would be totally into it. Uh, now I don't watch it. We don't have really, well, maybe we do this year. I don't know. Actually, that's one sport I'm not, I'm not really following, but you get my point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, well, there's so, two. But yeah, I think the intensity will be there. There's a ton of things I'd love to unpack out of that. One is a, an opinion-centric thing that I have that I'll throw out real quick and then segue to something else. But I've always been a bit frustrated with the Olympics around the fact that everybody's we're set, we're limiting the number of athletes. The, the the team can only be so big. The the support can only be so big. So you start seeing this kind of constriction of true performance. In other mm. words, a lot of these teams, these athletes, these teams have had X number of professionals working with them for the last four years, but then they get to the Olympics and six of those professionals can't come. And now there's two people they've never met before in their lives serving this service mm. for them and stuff. I find that, you know, considering the amount of money that's in that event, I think it's counterintuitive to what it should be in my personal opinion. Love to, yeah. would love to hear your no, viewpoint on that. It's a good point. It's a battle all the time with the number of credentials that are available and, and even more so this year. I mean, this year it's like a lot of athletes won't even have their coaches. Yeah, like it's crazy. Right? Like it's going to be a, a national team coaches that will be allowed. And then if you have your own coach, forget it. They're not a credit. I mean, in most cases. So that's going to happen a lot this year. Um, most physio, athletic therapist, trainer, name it. Like it's very, very minimal, those who will be there. Now, one thing, though, that's been done better in the past, especially I would say the last four or five Olympics for Canada, is the Canadian Olympic Committee created this place, which was always kind of there, but now I think it's more substantial. It's called the Perfect Leads to Be There. Now, you still need to be approved by the sport. It's, it's not perfect in a sense. It is limited. But mm -hmm. I think that anybody that works with someone who's a contender um, and, and someone that that demonstrates that they really want that person. So to have Scotty there for an athlete that you've worked with for four years, that athletes has a chance to win a medal, um, you'll probably be there. You'll be in the performance center and it'll give you a day pass to go to the village in and out. And, um, and I think, you know, you know, a lot of people that, that we work with that, that were in that performance center in London when we were there mm -hmm. uh, together. And, and that has been going on and it's, it's pretty good. Um, is it perfect? No, I think that's the, 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 the thing. It's always going to be limited to some degree. But I think now we can say that most top athletes, if, if they value their point of having so-and-so there, they, they usually will, except mm -hmm. this summer. But forget it. This summer, like a lot of sports psychologists who, uh, you know, Jean-Francois Menard, to name him, I know works with six athletes or seven that not only have a shot at gold, but like gold is the actual real objective and silver will be okay kind of thing. Right. So, and he's not going to be there. Um, so, yeah. uh, but athletes have been prepared for that. You know, we, we knew it all along. Um, that's what we did say to the athletes we're working with, make sure you develop your independence, make sure that those 
therapists or experts, people who work with the athletes, make sure that you also reinforce that independence in them right now. Mm. Like when we're a year away from the games, when you know you're not going to be there, don't make yourself uh, someone that they need to come to. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if things don't go well or well even. So mm-hmm. I think they'll, they'll be ready in that sense. And then, you know what, there's going to be a lot less distraction as well. Cause obviously there's no media. Uh, well, there will be, but they won't have access to the athletes until they're done their, their events. So there's not going to be any reception at the Canada house. There's not mm-hmm. going to be any sponsors that will ask maybe to have breakfast with you. There's going to be nothing. Mm. No, no Oakley house, no Nike house and name it. Right. There's always yeah, those, yeah, yeah. which also makes the Olympics, the Olympics, right. Mm-hmm, it's awesome mm-hmm, for athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not that you're going to, 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 to do a big party when you're an athlete, but uh, once you're done competing, it's still fun to party, but it's more fun to feel that big vibe. But that comes with a lot of distraction as well. Well, those won't be there. So in a sense, like maybe less support staff, but also less distraction. And because it's the games, I don't think all, that there'll be lack of motivation from athletes. Like I, you know, some people thought, well, maybe with less spectators, <coughs> sorry, less distraction, maybe people were, you know, going to be less <clears throat> on the, you know, in the zone to performance, but I, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think we're, we're they're all professionals and mm-hmm. they'll be, they'll be able to put themselves in that performance zone and we'll see records broken again in Tokyo, like, like we've seen in Rio, but that won't change. ReconditioningHQ.com is announcing the creation of the R-Pro series. There are now four steps to becoming a reconditioning professional. It all starts with our signature course, R1 Foundations, that sets you up with this unique, holistic approach to integrating the power of therapeutic practice and performance practice. This course, as well as the second course in our series, R2 Designs, is completely online. You can register and digest all the content from the comfort of your own home. Each course comes with a Zoom Lab experience where we take all the information and work with you to ensure you completely understand how to align it with your own practice. The third step, the R3 experience. This is a complete eight-week mentorship online where we go deep on the entire process and make certain you are prepared to succeed. Finally, we'll be releasing our first R4 collab sometime near the end of 2021. This will be an incredible live event where we use collaborative teaching design to manipulate the process with you and everyone in attendance so that everyone learns the nuances of the reconditioning process and leave being prepared to call yourself a reconditioning professional. For more information on all our courses, including our landmark personal development program, Empower You, please check out reconditioninghq.com today and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 off any one of our course offering. You want data? We've got data. You can now add real-time biometric testing and data monitoring to your Isofit MSK. Thanks to our partnership with Kinvent, you can easily transform your Isofit MSK into a state-of-the-art testing and training platform. Monitoring your athlete's progress has never been easier. With the K-Force Isofit Pack, you can easily send real-time acoustic and optic biofeedback to your smartphone or tablet. To learn more about the Isofit MSK and K-Force Isofit Pack, visit www.isofitphitmsk.ca today. 
Matrix Fitness Canada partners with coach Mark Fitzgerald to oversee its athletic performance program across the country. Mark is based in Kelowna, BC, with operations in multiple provinces serving athletes and families of various age groups. Most recently, the strength and conditioning coach for the Anaheim Ducks, Mark is also the head of performance and owns Elite Training Systems, a high-performance training center that caters to athletes across multiple sports. Matrix Fitness views all of us as athletes, and it is our goal to make better movement and fitness accessible to all. The Matrix Fitness Canada performance team will assist with program development, space and facility consults, and developing outreach programs for organizations who train competitive athletes and athletes at heart. Matrix Fitness has a full portfolio of fitness, performance, and medical equipment and programs designed to serve various populations. For more information on how Matrix can help with your objectives, go to teamupwithmatrix.com forward slash CA today. Well, that's the interesting piece of this too, is um, this past year uh, and a bit has been a real challenge for a lot of uh, athletes uh, going into this games in terms of their training programming and and what they've been able to do. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, looking at uh, Damian Warner as an example, who's <laughs> yeah. you know, world class uh, decathlete, uh, one of the best in the world. Canada's big chance for a medal in that, and you know, he's training in an arena with you know modified equipment and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, that's just an, a simple example. You you mentioned swimming before. I mean, they've been horrendously challenged with you of of space and and swimming and etc so i kind of wonder you know what the results are going to be what whether we're going to have less world records shattered this time or it's going to be a less less impressive games what's your what's your into into it on that do you think it's going to be the same old same old do you think it's going to be a little bit challenged by the way people were able to prepare i think science scotty and even the one that you're involved with so well i think everything will be challenged i think we'll all have to reflect um because in my view we will see some amazing results like we're starting to see the last few weeks months and unless everybody is peaking at the wrong moment like a month before the games or two months it is crazy how good the results and the performances are and and that you know if i project myself a month from now i I think athletes will, I'll I'll use the Canadian athletes because we've been more restricted. Like you use swimming, for example. Well, we've just had the the trials and athletes crushed it. They did so well. So maybe, you know, doing less of your sport, maybe having to rest more, certainly travel a lot less. Don't try to, you know, do multiple peak because you have those diamond leagues, which are, you know, big money in athletics. Um, now they're not happening. You're staying home in Oregon, like to use, you know, Mohamed Hamed, uh, our 5,000-meter um, uh, and 10,000-meter runner. Uh, he's running faster. I mean, they're all actually in that distance running faster than ever before. Well, they've been restricted to some degree. Now, granted, running is easier to maintain because you can go out and run even in COVID, but still less less access to their staff, their, their physio, their trainers. Like it, it was all, you know... Uh, different but seeing those performance and if it converts at the games i think we will all have to sit down and reflect and think on what we do i think we might be doing too much of what we're doing 
Um, That's always been a question on my side of things. Being in the industry yeah. that I'm in, I've always wondered, you know, like, do we really need to do as much as hmm. we do? Or do we always, I mean, I think it's a human character trait to default to volume in all, in all walks of life. It's not just training. You know, you're, if, if you're trying to work a job, everybody looks around the room, what time did you get in? And at what time did you, you finish at, you know, you're, you're, you never look at the person who's, and that's kind of the part of this work from home pro concept. That's a little bit challenging for a lot of people is, you know, how productive are you? Well, before in the olden days, you knew the person arrived at 8 AM and they left at five, mm-hmm. they must've been productive. Now they're at home. What does productive mean? You know, and so it's the same thing with this athletics comp- concept is, you know, you're, you're, how many hours should you be practicing? What does the coach think is a good amount? And what, and, and is, if, does the coach perceive that if he's not on the hill or he's not on the track that, you know, that's a waste of time and we, we need to be doing something. And so therefore we're always doing something because the default is better to say, well, I did as much as I could, then you fail and you go, well, we took three days off a week. Well, maybe that's why you failed. You yeah, know? That's, a, that's a good it's, point. It's a challenge. It's a challenge of trying to compress. So when you're forced to in this situation and you have better results, it's an interesting commentary. Like I'll always remember with uh, Helen Upperton as an example, an athlete that we both worked with that we had on this conversation a few weeks ago. You will remember when Helen broke her ribs and she broke her ribs in the middle of the year, near the end of the season. And she was bobsled athlete, bobsled athlete. She was eight weeks off. Couldn't do anything because of this rib fracture. I mean, nothing, zero, nada, couldn't lift weights and everything, but she came at the end of the eight weeks. She was given the the go ahead and she went and pushed in Salt Lake, in uh, Lake Placid. Mm. And she and her partner won the push competition at the, the, the event. (laughs) Right after she like, sat in her ass for eight weeks, and I remember yeah. saying to her, "Look, do you really need to train as hard as you do?" It's a, it's a question. Totally, I use the injuries as an example all the time. Uh, when someone, have you ever worked? And you're you're an athletic therapist, so you've seen a lot of those. Someone that came back from, let's just use a, a knee injury, an ACL, because I'm sure people listening relate to ACL a lot. Um, that didn't come back to at least the same level that they were in the following year. Have I ever have you, seen that? Have you, have you ever worked with somebody that kind of never came back? Like, I mean, I'm not talking in 10 years, but within a year and a half where they, be, they come back to be as competitive as they were, right? Very rarely, unless they had some real, really big issues with their Big surgery. complications, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So let's use an ECL that went okay. You're still off for eight months, like, mm-hmm. or six months doing rehab stuff, right? Right, right. And uh, I've seen it so many times in our sports and other sports where suddenly like the athletes has done just rehab in the summer and then arrives and then is as competitive the next winter. Well, Mm -hmm. during that time, not only you were just doing rehab, but unlike COVID where everyone was restricted, your competitors were training in what we consider being optimal training environment, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but potentially doing too much because you did nothing. You did nothing for your actual sport. You, you, you learn to walk again and, and walk, you know, and, and I mean, it's just, but still you're coming back and you're competitive. So mm-hmm, what, that's mm-hmm. what I was telling the athletes who were panicking and looking at the Romanian and the Chinese in, in wrestling who are still doing everything. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, first of all, you can't control it. So don't worry about it and close your Instagram right away. But second of all, 
When an athlete is injured, everything I just told you, Scotty, I think it's something people need to remind themselves. No, you're not losing that much ground. Now, all of us, though, as you know, people working behind the athletes, I really hope we'll take notes. And I'm not the, the expert brain, but I think of people like Trent Stellingworth that both you and I worked with a lot. And it's definitely the mine I respect the most in this country, and if not in the world, for sports science. He's a physiologist and, and many other things to, to his, to his um, pedigree. He... I'd like to sit down with a guy like that and a few others, like even like a Steve Norris that we worked with before and see what have we learned? Because we, you, no one would, would have dared to take that risk, right? Mm -hmm. As you mm -hmm. said, like to, to do less of your sport, train less. I mean, we've experimented it a bit. And in our case, Scotty, you and I, when we worked together, I remember we had our skiers ski a lot less than the other skiers mm -hmm. and it worked mm -hmm. super well. Uh, but that was just like one niche experiment. Now, like we had, we have a global experiment. We all need to learn from. Uh, yeah, for sure. Because one thing I always like to say, you know, when I when I had you know read those books with the ten thousand hours and that, and and I know he said later that he poorly explained himself. Uh, thank God he did, because if it was that simple, that stupid everyone would be Olympic champion and then no one, no one would be because we would all do, you know, like if it was just train harder, you'll be better, work harder. No, it's yeah. not that simple. Yeah. Uh, we've all seen athletes that in, in any sport, you're like, well, I mean, let's use an image everyone knows, like, a, I don't know, like a, uh, like in a sport, like a five foot 10 basketball player who then suddenly makes it like he's got other skills. And I've seen people in my sport who I don't even consider being like athletes in the athlete sense of the term. And they were the best skiers that we've had for that period. Like there's more to that, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's not yeah, just like sure. train harder, be stronger, do more squat. No, it's not that. And I know all of you guys now are way more smart in the way you train athletes. That's not my point. My point is that I think we all need to revisit how much mm -hmm. we're doing and when. And mm -hmm. the value of being happy to jump in the pool, being happy to get on the track. Like that's, I think, a lot of people lose. And I think they looked at sports that look like fun sport, like surfing and skateboarding with a bit of a jealous eye, like, oh, you, you guys are just playing. Like, well, why aren't you playing anymore? Why is it not play anymore to get into the water? Maybe, uh, maybe you're doing too much of it. Like, you know, like figure skaters, like, because uh, I'm pretty close to figure skating. Did they skate way too much? Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, year round. Like, um, tennis player, to use a sport that everyone follows, like, I, they played so much like uh, it's from tournaments to tournaments like they don't even book their tickets ahead of time because if they lose early they're going to travel somewhere else to another tournament like that's all year long that that there's no way that can be productive no yeah. way so anyways that's my rant a bit I, I, that i hope we will all learn and to your original question yes i do think the athletes will crush it i think we'll see amazing performances and result if i bring this back to canada canada is looking good scotty like we're looking good in swimming and athletics which are 25 percent of the medals awarded mm. at the olympics mm. so for that i think we're in a good position tough to predict precisely because again we haven't seen the competitors in action as much so if I think of gymnastics, for example, there hasn't been an event in a year and a half where everyone was there. So, you know, how is Ellie Black doing, our Canadian athlete? She's, she's doing awesome. She's healthy, fit. Uh, I'm told that, you know, all the tricks she's doing are right where they need to be to hope to be on the podium in, in Tokyo. But she hasn't competed against the other in a year and a half. And right. it's the same for, I could go on and on and on. It's like that in, in all sports, pretty much, that haven't had much events. Like very few sports had like, 
you know, a few events where everyone was there. So tough to predict, but I think when I look at um, not comparing, but looking at where we are at right now, when I talk to coaches, staff, and look at athletes' performance, we're, we're right there. I think we could, my prediction is that we could win as many gold medal as we've won in Barcelona in 92, which is seven. Um, I, I basically counted about uh, 11 athletes that I think have a shot at gold. Now, we all know it's not all going to convert. And some athletes that I don't predict that will win gold will. Uh, mm -hmm. um, so I think that could be something that we will uh, overachieve in gold medals. That's my uh, humble, simple prediction here. And as far as total number of athletes, with, which is what we look at in Canada, we don't just look at gold anymore. We kind of drifted away from that, which I'm okay with. I, th I think it's the right approach. I think we should shoot for podium. So if that's what we shoot for, that's what we should rank ourselves on. And it's uh, the, 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 the total amount of medals. That's how Canada does it. And I mean, that's not how the, the world and the IOC ranks. Like if you look, if you go on the IOC.org website during the games, you'll see uh, a ranking and it's going to be based on gold medal. And some countries do like Canada and they often show boat ranking. Um, but Canada will only use the gold one when it favors us. Like, you know, we did in Vancouver in 2010 because we had so many gold medals. Suddenly <laughs> we used the gold medal ranking, but in general, especially in the summer, because we're ranked, you know, somewhere between 17th and 22nd um, uh, at different Olympics. While well, we, we look at total amount of medals, uh, not at goals. We would be further down the, the list if we looked at gold. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, no, I think it, it's looking good. There's a one thing that I'm worried about, or one athlete, I should say, there's this young swimmer, um, from Canada. She's, she's 14 years old, uh, summer, uh, blank on her last name right now, but anyway, uh, first name is summer and she did amazing at the trials. Now we've all, you know, lived the 2016 with Penny Alexiak that no one knew before, except a few people very close to her and swimming. Now people are like, oh, we got our new Penny. Oh, yes, in Tokyo, she's going to score like Penny. She's going to win maybe four medals like Penny. Oh, man, she's 14 years old. Poor girl. She hasn't been to the Olympics yet, and already she has pressure. So I think, uh, I think that might crush her. Uh, but who knows? She, she, might, she, might, she might make me lie right now, and she will actually deliver, and that would be awesome. I couldn't be happier. I just, I'm careful when I see people start to put expectations like that because the reason why Penny Alexiak did also so well is because no one knew her before. Mm -hmm. So she didn't have any distraction of, you know, interviews and, oh, like, you know, how will it feel to be on the podium? Or, or now, you know, that I'm sure that little girl is being asked, you know, like, do you think you can do what Penny did? You know, I'm like, oh my God. Like, I mean, so, so that's heavy when we put those expectations. So I'm worried for her, but as a whole in, in swimming, I think we'll do really well. I think the swim program is awesome. Uh, they, they have this guy, John Atkinson, that they brought from uh, the UK about six, seven years ago now. And, you know, he, he's a tough guy. He's made tough decisions. He, he hasn't made just friends for sure in, in this sports and in sport in general, but you know what? Uh, that that's what you need sometimes someone i'm not i'm not someone who's pro bring people from out of this country all the time but sometimes it seems it's easier to make the tough decisions when you're not friends with everybody right and right and, and you and i are in that world and you know when we go from one event to another with different people in the sports field well it's a small group so we all know each other we're all friends so 
it, it gets hard to sometimes make tough decision and cut people, change programs and so on. So mm-hmm. John did that really, really well. I mean, obviously results speaks, uh, swimming is, is now a, a leading sport in Canada, which if you want to score at the summer games to my earlier point, there's so many events, it's, it's the one sport you need to go for and they do it well. So, and, uh, Ben Titley as well, the coach, obviously who, who's the one that works under John, but he's the one on the side of the pool. And, uh, again, same thing, a great guy who's got a, you know, uh, Uh, a plan in mind and will deliver no matter what. And he doesn't care if it's going to ruffle a few people or two along the way, he he will go where he wants to go. And that's, and he's also from the UK. So, you know, in this case, I think having people outside of Canada, not because there's no Canadian with those skills. It's just, I think when you come from another country, it's easier sometimes to just, just get the job done. And Mm -hmm. this guy seems Mm -hmm. to do it. Um, The other big thing that, we want to look for Canada when we talk gold medals. It's uh, Laurence Vincent Lapointe in canoe and her teammate in in the C2, so two people in the canoe, uh, Katie Vincent, who's also uh, a contender for the gold medal in the C1. So these two together, uh, you know, they've been separated a lot because uh, I'd like to remind people listening here that Laurence Vincent Lapointe was... Um, uh, accused of doping and was uh, later, like six months later after an investigation, um, was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She was uh, relieved from her uh, uh, accusation, so she was free. But um, And it's too long of a story. We could make a full podcast on that. But basically, she, <laughs> it's because of her boyfriend that she ended up with some of the uh, Landronol, uh, like, micro, 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 micro levels of Landronol in her blood that they had found finally, like through her hair, they were able to prove that she did not take that substance herself. Um, So she's now qualified. They announced actually, as we speak, they announced that she will be at the Olympics because it took forever uh, because she's missed so many events in uh after the world championship where she was you know where she tested positive uh, which was a false positive but positive nonetheless so she missed a lot of qualifying event so today we're announcing that they've made exception she's going to be in tokyo with her teammates so that to me will be something to watch it's at the end of the games on the second part second week of the olympics so for for me i think those are the probably our biggest shot at gold like there's mm. nothing like a guaranteed gold, but you know, there's always one or two where you look ahead and you're like, okay, this, this is not a silver that we want here. We want gold. And those two athletes uh, have two shots, uh, two events. So um, to me, that's, that's going to be the, the one to watch where I think they can really live up to the pressure. Uh, and especially, ha- you know, having been forced out of your sport, like she's been, think about all the... <laughs> the anger in a way, right? Like, you know, you didn't do anything wrong, but then the whole world say you're a cheater and then you finally prove it. But then you were put on the sideline. So you missed the qualification event and now you're finally getting the chance to go. Like uh, I'm told she's pretty damn fast right now. So uh, hopefully <laughs> she delivers. Prove everybody well, I think those wrong. are the, the big, uh, the, I what think about, what about our big teams? Like we've got uh, women's soccer, um, rugby sevens, yeah. basketball, uh, volleyball. Uh, I think the women's, I know the women's or the men's volleyball team, they're both in the Olympics, the yep. water yep. polo, like any of these teams, uh, chomping for anything this time. Cause usually we, we kind of struggle in the team world a little bit. Uh, yeah. And it's exciting. It's the most teams that we've had, which is eight, uh, since the Montreal Olympics, which we had because we were the host nation. So, mm. um, 
So we could just simply say this is the most teams we've ever had qualify for real for the Olympics. So it's pretty cool. Mm. Um, before I go into my projection, what I'd like to say, though, is that I think these teams will bring a lot to the Canadian team as a whole because mm. that brings a lot more people mm. in what will be somewhat a boring athlete's village because <laughs> it will be bubbles and bubbles and bubbles and you'll be so sick to be in your bubbles, but there's going to be more people, more energy. So I think this will be cool, will be good, will impact even the individual athletes. Um, you know, people living with the pressure of performing are both the soccer women's team and the rugby women's team. They have won the bronze medal uh, in Rio and the soccer team had won it as well in London. Um, you know, when you've been there, it's, it, it suddenly fourth, fifth is, is not, you know, acceptable in a way. Uh, mm. And as far as the soccer team, I think that there's so much that happened there. Change of coaching staff again, like five months ago, a new coach came in and, uh, Young girls, older girls, like mix of generation, which can be really good. But um, again, I'm not the expert in soccer. Like soccer is a sport where there's so many fans and, and experts. So I'm, I'm more generalist. And I think for us, if we can get that bronze again, it'll be like, whew, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got a bronze again. Um, rugby, the expectations were higher. I think, you know, we, we've shown that we could beat anybody uh, but there's definitely um, a gap right now happening uh, where Canada is, you know, they, they, they can beat anybody, right? So for sure they can beat on any given day, they can beat the Australians and the, the New Zealanders. And uh, so because it's a tournament base, there's a bit of luck and, you know, there's a their group seating. And then after that, you go into the tournament. So, um Again, if they don't make a podium, though, to make it shorter, uh, it would be disappointing. But as much as a year or a year and a half ago, I thought that we would be shooting for gold. I, I, I think gold is not impossible, but eh, if they get into that final match, let's, let's just pop the champagne right away because it doesn't matter where they end after that, uh, whether it's first or second. So that would be spectacular. Where I would like to make a, a, a risky prediction um i have some sort of a weird good vibe for our men's volleyball team mm. uh, i just love the coach glenn hogg uh we don't know each other personally but we've had a few exchanged lately by emails um they're living something extraordinary because of covid they will have been isolated as a team in europe for 83 days before the Olympics. They have never done that. Mm. And because of the quarantine system in Canada, for them to come back, have to quarantine, like it just didn't make sense. So they were super nervous about that because they've never been that long together. But after exchanging with them and uh, Gino Brousseau, who was a player back in the 90s, who's involved now with the support staff, I think they really put everything in place to try to keep it keep it fun. And again, not being like overtraining either and try to give some freedom to the athletes to go to the beach or whatever. And, and it will be tough because 83 days together before the game, that's not ideal for sure. But I think if they find the ways, it could also create that magic. 
And, and, and I'm told by some people who are uh, more experts than myself in the sport that um, if they have a bit of luck, they, they could end up, uh, you know, making their way through that tournament and could be fighting for bronze, who knows. So that, that, I don't know why I have a feeling for that. I've seen them in, 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 in the previous Olympics with that coach. I just, I just love that coach, Glenn Hogg. Like we should have him actually on our podcast after the Olympics. Well, that's a great idea. He's like yeah. such a, a, a rassembleur. He's, he's just got a great vibe, a great leader. Um, definitely, uh, you know, one of the coach I look up to the most for, for the little I know. Obviously, I've never been in a room. I've never, I don't see how he talks really to, to the players. I just know what we read, what we see, and, and his vibe on the side of the court, I could, I could tell. And his kid is playing in the game as well. So he's coaching his son. That makes it doubly interesting, I find. Um, so that's, that's the team that... I wouldn't say the team to follow, but one that, that could definitely surprise. Um, it's so much more, ah, I was going to say fun, maybe not the right word, but it's an easier place or a better place where you're a bit the underdog. You know you can, but you just go for it. And, and in the back of your mind, not that you think about it, but eh, if you come short and finish fourth or fifth, it, it's still so good. Rather than being where our rugby players are. And somewhat, to a certain degree, the soccer players were, uh, ooh, you, you, you go into mm-hmm. Tokyo knowing that mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the countries expected you to be on the podium. Mm-hmm. It's a different vibe. So I think these guys on teams like volleyball will do well. Um, the softball team, women's softball, I'm told, is definitely a contender as well um, to make it to the final. Um, well, and the so women's uh, volleyball uh, on beach volleyball is one of the yeah, best in the world, aren't of they? Of course. So. Yeah, and we have two teams that are uh, ranked really high. So uh, Sarah Pavan and Melissa Umana Paradise are, you know, reigning world champions. They're ranked second right now in the um, FIBV uh, ranking. So that's good because that allows them to be seated, you know, in the place where they can only meet the other team at the very end, right? So mm-hmm. they wanted to be make sure they're in the top four. That's the key. If you're out of the top four, then you can be unlucky and pull out the best other opponent right away in the tournament. So that's a great position to be. They've had a rough go the last two tournaments in Russia and Ostrava. Um, Ostrava wasn't too bad. They made it to the semifinal, but uh, right now they're in a training camp and they've had a lot of training partners and other teams that came in and uh, they really apparently found their groove and playing well. And there's a, uh, you know, another Canadian team that's doing well as well on the, on the, on the women's side, Heather uh, hmm. Bensley, and I forgot the name of her teammate, but Canada's in a position that could have two teams in the, in the quarterfinal for sure. And potentially in the semifinal. So that, that could be exciting. Mm -hmm. And, and that, uh, again, a question we've had earlier, that's a sport I do love to watch. Uh, Cause again, with, with the way it is now, it's so fast. Like it's one point every time and beef, bang, boom, like so much happens. It's spectacular. So both on the women and men's side, it's one of the sport that I definitely watch if I, if I'm able to be in front of my TV and, and where now Canada could, could, do really well but again expectations man they 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 kill people expectations right now especially those those athletes they they've won the world championships um and they don't they don't want silver they they want gold and 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 that's the expectations put on their shoulder um it's it's a tough place to be i I think they're Mm -hmm. ready they work with both they work with great sports uh psychologist and and uh, mental performance coach one is jean-francois women that i mentioned earlier and lee um 
Lee Hancock, who's from LA where the team is centralized and Lee is doing an awesome job. So I think they'll live up to it, but it, it's heavy. It, it's tough. Uh, it's, it's interesting listening to you talk because I had a really interesting conversation with a colleague of mine uh, this morning who's working in China and he works for one of the performance uh, sort of provincial performance institutes there training, mm. you know, provincial and national team athletes. And we were talking about, you know, how athletes become athletes in that country and, you know, how the whole system runs and the motivations and all these different factors. And I was, you know, it was kind of enlightening for me for a moment. Like he just basically said that most of the athletes never chose the sport that they're in. It was chose, chosen for mm. them. You know, they go through these kind of testing batteries and they say, well, you you should probably do this. And they get stuck in this thing. Yeah. It, they're viewpoint is that it's a you know it's a way to to many of these young athletes are from the country they have their family has no money the money that they generate goes back to their family they're basically their whole motivation for being there and trying to win uh, is completely different than the motivation of our athletes is mm -hmm. and a lot of them don't like when you we talk the word passionate and we talk the word you know joy and all these things about it's not a part of their lexicon of, of conversation. They, they don't talk like that at all. They don't even understand what it is like. And then education, like we were talking about our, how we value education along with our athletes mm -hmm. and try to support it there. It's like, if you come, if you get into sport, you're basically putting your, your education on, on hold while you're trying to do all this stuff. And you'll often go back, you know, if you get launched because you're not good enough you have to go back and everybody else has been going through the educational program and you got to catch up now like this was really news to me like i didn't know it was that you know and even things like they said he was telling me that for the winter olympics coming up right now like they'll literally pick their best athletes out of a sport like diving and go you're going to be a skier now and so, you know, he was, he was telling yeah. me about, you know, a couple of their good uh, freestyle skiers right now. I've only been skiing for two years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> They were literally divers or gymnasts before, but yeah. because they were good athletes, they stuck them in skiing and now they're skiing. Like, I don't think the, the, the general populace of our nations recognizes when our athletes go up against these athletes, they're going up against this kind of robotic system that's just got just pushing humans into this vat of humanity and churning them out. You know, there's a billion people there and they're just keep, can we find another person who's a little faster? Whereas we're like all about, well, do you enjoy diving? Do you like, you know, the shot put do you, it's, it's a fascinating dichotomy between what, what we do to first sport and what they do. So. Yeah. I love your robotic image there. Cause that, that, that represents it so well. And, and, and again, it's not what we should, try to replicate i don't think so and that's why we need to um surround our athletes differently because the mode the intrinsic motivation is so different it's it's not it's not to survive in most cases anyways in canada and i mean i'm sure some people come from very very poor background in in, in our countries as well whether it's the u.s or canada mm -hmm. but um that deep intrinsic well first of all not not even having the choice and then needed that for your family to not not to strive and succeed, but to to live, to to live, right? It's crazy. Very different. Then uh, you know, like this 
could bring us to another topic, but that's also why I do understand why people cheat. Uh, well, first mm-hmm. of all, many countries that we know, like the Russians, you know, and Chinese for some degrees as well, and others, it's not a choice, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. institutionalized, it's been proven. But in other cases that some are selfly motivated to do it, man, like we don't know what it is to be hungry. I don't know what it is. I have mm-hmm. no clue, right? Like the, the things that I've been stressed in my life are, you know, are luxury in another reality. So mm-hmm. we have to comprehend, understand that everybody comes from such different background and motivations sometimes are different and will, I'll, I'll use the word justify wanting to cheat. I get it. I'm not mm-hmm. saying I, I wouldn't, they should, and it's not wrong. I'm just saying I understand. So when we point fingers sometime I'm like well yeah like that person goes and and runs a, a marathon in, in Kenya so he can win three thousand dollars to feed the whole village uh, mm-hmm. and that's just a small scale example I'm giving a, tr- a true a true example like someone who, who is actually I read about that that athlete who goes runs those different little events around Africa and brings money to the whole village I, man that's if he cheats it I mean do I blame him I'm not sure right uh, now we all need to compete on a level playing field. Um, maybe we, we could end on that, Scotty, since mm-hmm. I brought doping, not, not really planning it, but uh, Kerry Richardson, this, this, this poor sprinter who just got tested positive in the U.S. for you know, smoking cannabis a few days after her mom died. Like, uh, there's been a big push online you know, with the hashtag let her run, and uh, I, I, I'm, I'm on that bandwagon. I think it, it, it's silly what's happening. That We should be worried about that, that poor girl's mental health um, after losing her mom. Uh, she was in Oregon where cannabis is legal. It's legal here in Canada and, and, and in more and more and more countries. So to, to make this short one, I think I feel terrible for this, this athlete, for this woman. Um, and I know they'll say even Joe Biden said the rule is the rule. <laughs> Fine, but maybe it's time. I know they can't make an exception for her. I get it. But she paid the price now for maybe what needed to happen, which is a change in this stupid mm-hmm. book of performance-enhancing drug that's thick like a Bible and is one size fits all. So the reason cannabis could be there, it's only because maybe in shooting sport, I guess, to, to be more calm in a way it could help. Is it slowing down your heartbeat or whatever? You could shake less for some, in some cases. That applies to shooting. It sure doesn't apply to sprinting, <laughs> right? And now one, that, one could argue she hamstrung herself by doing it in some ways, but <laughs> I get it. Some people, and that's why the first reaction is like, is she an idiot? Like what? You know, the I mean, yes, but then that just shows maybe the pain she was going through, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's easy to say she was stupid and to throw rocks at her. I, I'm, but let's let's think deeper here a little bit and take the time. Like it, it, this will get so confusing now that cannabis is legalized in many places in this world, uh, and, and there might be other drugs that should be removed from that Bible of performance enhancing drug, and it shouldn't be a blanket approach. I think it should be between the if if shooting has that exception on them, fine, and the others like. I mean, we'll all be in a place that, like, I'm not a generation of, well, maybe a generation, but not in my, my reality. People don't smoke weed. Um, I've, you know, never been at a party where everyone smokes at the table. Like, they, they would go outside, hide, and, you know, but it will happen now, right? Like, where 
people we know, kids of people you and I know who are 15, 20, they smoke. I mean, maybe not every day, but they'll be in a place. So you'll have athletes who are like, you know, Olympic contenders. Now what? Like suddenly they say no to every dinners because they'll, they'll be cut with secondhand smoke at some point or another, right? Because it's, it's accepted like drinking wine and for, for you and I, or for me anyways, it's like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Cause you know, I know how I am on weed and I, I'm not like when I drink a glass of wine. Uh, but for some people it's, you know, it's, it's anyway, it's accepted. It's legal. So, well, and as some people said, so, which is a little bit uh, off collar, but it's the, it's generalistically the truth that you've got skateboarders and surfers in the Olympics. Like you're telling me they're not smoking weed at some point, like, come on. Yeah. But now they will all, like they, they but they they're will all be tested it. for it. Exactly. So it's uh, you're going to lose some of these athletes for sure. Um, yeah. And should you? No, I don't think we should. So I think we should just review that. But man, I, I don't feel good for that athlete who was the favorite to win the hundred meter. I mean, talk about a big blow. Easy to say she was stupid doing it. Um, you know, uh, God knows how close she was to her mom. And again, like maybe let's start. I mean, it's it's the, one of the main topic these days is mental health. Um, maybe we should dig deeper and seeing like how she is as a person uh, and now how she will be after that. <sighs> I hope a lot of people are close to her right now uh, to make sure uh, she doesn't do anything more stupid than smoking cannabis. So, Well, when you compare yeah. and contrast it to what we saw in Icarus with the Russians during the uh, Winter Olympics in Sochi and what was going on behind closed doors there, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's it's hard to it's a it's a very strange and and bizarre space uh, that I you know don't don't envy anybody for navigating and uh, maybe I'll try to get my good friend uh, Alan Vernack who's the chief physician for WADA to come uh, chat on our po- podcast in the near future oh, yeah, and I'd like talk that. about that that would be an interesting conversation. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as usual, we could walk, wax philosophic for hours, but uh, we will cut it off at some point. So uh, yeah. good chatting with you today, sir. And uh, we'll be back again soon. I have to touch base with you on what we can schedule based on your commitments in a couple of weeks from now uh, with, yeah. with Olympics and stuff. Yeah. So opening ceremonies on the uh, 23rd, 23rd of July. Yeah. And uh, I'll be with Radio Canada on air every day between 5 and 6 p.m. and between 7 and 7.30 p.m. Plus sporadically, depending on the news and all of that, uh, for those of you listening who can speak French, ou vous voulez pratiquer votre français, well, you can listen to us on Radio Canada. And a closing ceremony on the 9th of uh, August. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a... I think it's going to be awesome to watch because it's going to be so weird and different at the same time. So uh, mm-hmm. let's all tune in 23rd of July. The Stanley Cups will have been won by then so we can all go back and focus on the Olympics. And Speaking of which, maybe but by the Montreal Canadiens, but it's not Hopefully, looking so yeah. good right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. All right, go Habs go, right? Go Habs go. All right, buddy. All right, have thanks, a good Scotty. day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today, and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome. <laughs>